Okay, let's start. Hey, Rick, how are Hello. you? Hello, nice to be here. Thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah, we're trying to bring some uh, interesting guests in our Wolfie's talks. And um, obviously, we know us over a couple of years now. Um, we, we just talk, spoke about it that uh, your first professional, the first, the second professional race of your career uh, was Dubai Tour. And uh, you had immediately the, the, the right team, the winning team with Taylor Finney, I think, who won the, the time trial. Um, I just want to acknowledge you for some some really big achievements. You've been a uh, U23 Flanders champion. You have been German champion. Uh, you have done the Tour de France a couple of times. You have done the Giro Italia. Uh, you were one of the, the earliest or the youngest professional riders turning with 19. You became pro. You were one of the youngest riders uh, completing the Giro Italia. Um, yeah, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, nice to be here and looking forward for, to a nice talk. Thank you. Um, I just want to maybe speak a little bit about your role in the team and how your position is. And you, as you, you, you like the classic races and you're um, one of the lead out men for the sprint. Um, at the moment, you're participating, you're, you're in the team um, Israel um, yes. cycling team and you're, you're working with Andre Greipel. How is this to work with Andre, which is such a, a famous sprinter? How is how's your work to, which you have to do there? It's a, a really good experience. I mean, I know uh, Andre now for a couple of years. We were living together in Cologne. So we are also training nearly every day together here. Um, we have a nice training group. Also Nils Polit, for example, is uh, in this group. Uh, and another young German rider, uh, Juri Holman, who's riding for Team Movistar. So we are four professionals living here close to each other, training nearly every day together. And uh, yeah, uh, coming back to Andre, uh, he's... I mean, he's the most successful rider still in the peloton at the moment with more than 160 wins. So uh, for me, he's for sure a guy I'm looking up to. And uh, if he gives advice, I'm, I'm listening to him. And uh, yeah, I mean, at, at the moment we cannot race, but I, I try to make, uh, I want to still, I want to win at least one or two races with him together. And uh, so, yeah. I hope we can. Still and do and this. what's your position in the race with him? Are you the second, the last leader man, or what, where is your position in the in the leader train? Um, in Tour Down Under this year, I was the last guy in front of him. Okay. Um, yeah, normally I, I've been for the last couple of years. I've always switched between uh, second last and last guy, and in the leader train. So uh, yeah, that's that, so I'm always there in the last kilometer of the race uh, to to bring the sprinter in position or to lead him out. And as well, like you uh, mentioned already uh, in the classic races, I'm the guy who brings uh, yeah, a saved rider who gets saved a little bit for the final. And then when the real final starts, I need to bring my, my captains in position for the, for the key moment of yes. the race. Like in Roubaix, I did the, last year, I did it with Tony Martin or Nils Polis as well. And uh, yeah, on a, on a good day, I, am, I, I also can uh, win a race. So uh, I think yes. it's, it's not a, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a good rider to have in a team, yeah. <laughs> yes, I saw you had a 2019, beginning of 2019, you had a, a great sprint in the Tour of Yorkshire. And I yes. think it was very impressive when you just went from the front and you had, I don't know, three, four bike lengths in between. So this is when, when you have no other person to lead out, uh, you, have, you have the good sprint and uh, you, you can win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, last year was a, a nice uh, experience for me as well, because uh, normally Marcel Kittel was, uh, was supposed to be there. 
and then in the last moment he got sick or something so he couldn't race and uh, yeah then I got my chance and uh, then for sure it was nice to show the team that I also can win a race um, okay at the moment I just have two professional wins but uh, if I get a chance I'm normally always up there in the top 10 or top 5 in a sprint and if it's been a hard race before I also can win a sprint that's the, I know that yeah You've spoken about Nils Pollitt and the Roubaix race. And I always wonder when I'm riding on Swift and my tax trainer, is Roadfield preparing us for anything like Roubaix? If you have the Roadfield adjusted and the, the, the trainer vibrates, is this anything like it or not really? No, uh, you, you can't train for Paris-Roubaix. Uh, you also, when we do, we do normally, we do the recon two or three days before. And uh, yeah, already then, you feel okay we just did like for example 60 kilometer of the race and yeah. you feel it the day after already in the bones and especially also in your hands so then you know okay when we when you do the hell of the north on sunday um for sure until wednesday so three days after you still you can still feel it in the body and um, every rider is different but for me example i always get blizzles uh, on my hands i saw that no matter what i do in every time I passed the, uh, I, I did Roubaix until now, I always had blizzards on my hand after, no matter if I were closed or not. Uh, yeah, it's just something you, you have to live with. Yes, I saw your hands. I saw an interview after the race and you, you, you were showing your hands and there was almost no skin left, yeah. uh, which I thought was, was unbelievable. How many days does it take until you really feel you want to get back on the bike and you think about another Roubaix or is this fairly quickly? Because obviously, as you described, the pain is very uh, dramatic and I, I, obviously you, you get shaken all, all the way. Your body must ache for, for many days. But do you think about another edition fairly quickly or is it is it rather that you feel like, okay, uh, no, I'm not going to do this again? Uh, Roubaix, for example, is a special feeling. Uh, for sure, you're happy when you when you cross the finish line. But uh, um, yeah, already already two or three weeks after, when you think back to the race, you're like, ah, actually, it's a pity we just have it one once a year. Like it's such a spectacular and cool race. Uh, it's 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 crazy. It's just crazy to do it. Uh, and even I did uh, in 2018 the Tour de France when we had a Roubaix stage. Yes. Even this is already hard but you cannot really compare to the one day race uh, it's it's a very special feeling and uh, luckily for me always Paris-Roubaix is normally the last race of the classic campaign so then you get two or three weeks off and then you start preparing for the Tour de France for example or for the Giro d'Italia so uh, it's always also good for the head to know okay now this is one day I go all in and I need to suffer through it but then I have two or three weeks off. Uh, it's good to know that you don't have to race the Monday after. <laughs> and, and at the beginning of these pave sections, how early does this start that the, that the speed picks up? And what, what approximately is the, the wattage and power you need to produce to stay in the pack and maybe to bring your riders in the best position? Uh, we always see this, obviously, they're speeding up that everybody wants to be early onto the pave. But, but how, how is the situation? How do you make sure that Nils or Tony are on your wheel? They're communicating with you, you go over the radio, or is it something that they scream to you? Because you have to focus on the street, but how do you, how do you stay connected? I, I think this is something you, you learn over the years. Uh, it, it always depends, of course, uh, if you have headwind or backwind, for example, because uh, yeah, Paris-Roubaix, of course, goes from A to B. 
So the first big factor is already the wind. If you have tailwind or crosswind. So for example, last year when I did it with Niels, we had a strong crosswind and uh, it's always a hell of a fight to get in the breakaway. So for example, then you, I think you, the first pavé starts after 90 kilometer. So you're like, okay, we can chill out for the first one and a half hour. And then when we come like 20 or 15, 10K before the first pavé, then we turn the head on and we start concentrating. And then normally it's like riding, riding on a tandem. I would never go through gaps uh, where I just know, okay, I can slip through, but the guy behind me cannot. So okay. this is my job of visually to, to think for, for Niels also, um, just to ride through gaps uh, where he also can follow me and then bringing him in position. This is uh, not easy, but this is something you learn. And uh, yeah, Ruby is crazy because some, it depends on the race. Sometimes you have an early breakaway and you can really take it easy under the first pavé section. But the last two times I did it, for example, there never there was never a breakaway before the first pavé. And then actually the peloton rise into the first pavé section like it's the finish line, like it's crazy. And then you hit the first, you hit it, and then you know, okay, now it's 160 kilometer with cobble sections every 5K. And uh, yeah, but like, Within seconds, you are in the final of the race. It's really totally crazy. The race is six hours, but it feels like one hour maybe. And uh, it, it goes very fast. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's hard to describe. Amazing, really. But you enjoy the one day races, yeah? What's your favorite race of the season? I would like from all the one day races, it's uh, definitely Paris-Roubaix, but uh, for me, it's always special to race in Germany also, like a race like Frankfurt or Hamburg, I really like to do. And yeah, I'm, I'm super happy that since two years, uh, Tour of Germany is back. So uh, that's always a special feeling to ride on your, in your home country. What do you consider so far the biggest achievement on, on the bike for you? What was the best day you had on your bike? The, the, the best day, of course, when you, when you talk about the biggest achievements, it's personally, of course, a win. Like, uh, like, a, like you already said, I won a stage in the Tour of Yorkshire. I won, I won a stage in uh, the Tour of Austria. This is, these are days I like to think back to. But it's not always, always the wins. Uh, I, I like, I also like to think back on the on the days where I did a good lead out. And for example, Marcel won a race, or or Alexander Christoph won a lot of races in 2017 when I lead him out. Uh, I, I like to think back on the on the Frankfurt race in 2017, when I it was like also four degrees and rain all day, and we arrived with a really small group to the finish, and I made a lead out for Christoph, and he won the race, and I finished second behind him. So this was also a really special day, like a one-two and uh, in like kind of a home race, and uh, but still like the day which uh, hit me the most emotional was definitely uh, when I finished my first Tour de France on the Champs-Élysées in 2017 yeah. as well, because yeah, obviously I was, I've been there a lot of times as a yes. kid and <laughs> dad, yes. but uh, coming, coming there on like with your own strengths uh, after three weeks of suffering, uh, you, you do it with your own uh, legs and uh, yeah, your own way. You you come to Paris and you finish your first Tour de France, and uh, it was like it felt for me like 
uh, a circle finished somehow, and uh, it it was, uh, it bring tears to my eyes when I when I did it when I finished there, and uh, this was emotional. This was the best day, yeah. Very nice, very good. That, that's very nice. Yeah, you have been many times with your dad. Obviously, you have been there. Uh, you had green hair on the podium, and I mean, this is the time when I was watching the the events and uh, saw you uh, with your dad on on stage. That was always very nice to see. Uh, and I always thought if, if one day you will become a cyclist and if this would be something where you would you would try to follow uh, with the, the lead of your father and uh, I think quite quite a challenge to get into the sport with, with uh, such a uh, famous last name. So uh, how, how was this for you growing up in the in the cycling scene? Did you miss your dad a lot? Yeah, for sure. My my mom was uh, was a person who raised me up. <laughs> um, uh, my dad uh was like me now traveling a lot doing a lot of races and uh it was not easy when i played football before and uh, i i saw i think uh, i started racing my bike when i was like 13 years old and uh just for fun in the beginning but when i was like 16 years uh, I, i started to get good i went to the national team uh, Germany and uh, then I got really competitive I I, <clears throat> I wanted to be good and uh, I I really always had in my head okay I will follow the footsteps of my dad I'm gonna be a great cyclist for sure this was clear in my head okay and like, like like you like you already mentioned uh, for example in the juniors and in the u23 I was I was uh, really in the world class. Like I was competing with Ala Philippe and Kelly Buren. I was okay. on the same level with them. Like you said, I won the U23 Flanders. I was already was 18 years old. I was U23 champion. And then I turned professional with BMC. And then, like when you just with the professionals, uh, like just the best riders compete against each other. And then was, for example, like. Uh, when I realized, okay, I'm a good rider, but I'm not the world's best. Like I'm not a Caleb Ewan, for example, who wins mm -hmm. 10 races a year. Mm -hmm. And it was not easy. Then like, then I started struggling a little bit, to be honest, because it's not a nice feeling when you look in people's eyes and you can see a little bit of disappointment. They are like, yeah, he's good, but he's not as good as his dad. Okay. That's not a nice feeling. And, uh, I, I really struggled uh, with this feeling and I had to deal with it. And uh, after a while, I was like, man, you are not, you, you are not the second Eric Zabel. You are, you are Rick Zabel. Like you have to go your way. You have to make your way. How long work. ago is this? Uh, this was maybe uh, when I was 22, 23. Like when you're young, it's, it's like, you, like you said, I turned professional when I was 19. Um, I just had cycling in my head, cycling, cycling, cycling. And uh, if I had a good race on the weekend, I was in a good mood. And when I had a bad race, I was in a bad mood. So uh, yes. I, I was really like, I was a 100% cyclist. And, uh, but I was not a happy person in that time because I, it was like too much. I was too competitive. And uh, now, like now I'm 26 uh, and for sure cycling is still a big part of my life. But I'm also into a lot of other stuff. And uh, I know this chapter will end one day. And then I'm, I'm, still, I'm still me and I have to go my way. So uh, uh, I don't take it too serious anymore. Of course, you have to take it serious to be professional. But uh, I try to enjoy it more. And uh, yeah, it's not 
yeah it's, it's not like you're not a better person if you win the Tour de France for example it's nice for sure but it doesn't make you a cool guy if you're not cool for example so <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's uh, the way I deal with it yeah Very good. You, you were speaking about the beginning when, when you said your father was the inspiration. So what is your first uh, inspiration in cycling? Was it, okay, you, you grew up with cycling and your dad was obviously a, a big sprint star in, in Germany and all over the world. And your, your first memories you have for cycling is Tour de France or which race you can remember or what, what is the first event you can remember cycling-wise? Um, my, my mom took me to a lot of races with uh... When I was a child, I was really often at the races with my parents and I always enjoyed it. And of course, I, I remember being at the Tour de France. I remember being at the Tour of Germany in, in Frankfurt. Yeah, we was always there when the German races happened. And, but back in the days, I didn't, I didn't realize like, that my father is a star and that he's very good. Like, it was just normal for me. That, like, who won today? Yeah, daddy did. It's like, oh, yeah, like always. Uh, it was just kind of normal for me. And... Uh, I was actually, I was a bigger fan of Mario Cipollini. I really liked Cipollini. And, <laughs> and uh, I was kind of angry on my dad when he beat him in a sprint, for example. I was like, okay, <laughs> I wanted Cipollini to win. Why did you win? Uh, yeah, but uh, of course, when I get older and uh, I got more into cycling, I realized like what my dad achieved, like, that he's yes. a big star. Yeah, but this yeah. I just realized when I was older. So you see, this is one of the questions I have is like, who was in your head when little Rick was sprinting in a race and you were playing kind of some mind games? So it was Mario Cipollini in your head, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember, for example, um, when I, I don't know how old I was, but I have two older cousins. Yeah. And, uh, when, we, when we started riding our bikes, we, we always picked the rider. Like, for example, my cousin was Eric Zabo, my dad, and I was Mario Cipollini. And yeah. another one was uh, Oscar Freire, for example. Yes. And then we, we made our little little races against each other. And uh, one, once I won and I, I raised up my hands and I crashed yes. and broke my arm like this, for example. <laughs> I, this, this are, yeah, these are for sure things I remember. I remember when you, when you said just Oscar Freire, when Eric was, or your father was riding, uh, it was Milan Sanremo and yeah, yeah. he, I think he won the race almost and then he he just celebrated a little too early and then Oscar Ferrer came from the other side. I think he was against Petaki and yeah. I think he had Petaki beaten and Ferrer came from the other side and beat him. And I thought this was a heartbreaking moment uh, for me. How, how long did it take you there to, uh, to recover from this moment? Uh, a lot, a lot. Uh, I, I was there with my mom. Uh, it was 2004 in San yeah. And uh, I mean, he won that race already four times before, so it's not, not that bad. Uh, yes. But uh, yeah, of course, it, it was not nice. Everybody was laughing about him. But uh, now, now the funny thing about this is like, if you ask people how many times he won San Remo, like 20 years later, nobody really knows. But everybody knows that he once yes. like uh, was second behind Fredo because he celebrated too early. So. It's funny how the mind works and uh, you, you yes, will always remember that, that, but not how much, not how many times you won it. Yes, no, that's true. That's true. You went to boarding school in Erfurt. Uh, yeah. That was a sports boarding school and, and you were in the cycling academy there. Um, was this your own decision? Was it your father, your mom? or how, when, when did you change from a regular school to boarding school and how was that? 
I, it, it was my own decision. Uh, I, I, I always had my own head. And like I said, when I, when I got good and competitive, when I was maybe 14, 15, I knew like, okay, I need to train more. I need to have a more structured life uh, to get better. And with a normal school, it will be hard. So uh, I, I looked a little bit and yeah, I, I found that boarding school. My mom and me, we, we went there for a weekend. So I did a, a test week or something. And I decided, okay, that's, that's what I want. I want to go there. I want to train with a training group. I want to train structured. I want to live like a professional. And uh, yeah, I, I went to the school and uh, it's for me, I think this was maybe the best decision in my life uh, because uh, it, it, was a, it was just a, a life lesson in my, in my opinion. I was when I, in a very young age, I had to deal with problems like other people don't have to do. And yeah, I, I, and yeah com combining school and training and uh, all the problems uh, a 16 year old guy has <laughs> was not easy, but I made my way and I think it made me uh, a stronger human for sure. No, I'm sure that that's difficult. I can imagine, especially uh, boys in, in this age are quite tough with each other. And obviously you come there, you're, you're a new a rookie. Um, and then uh, I was listening to a few things. You were in the first floor. It had four floors, the building, and then the first guys came in there. And then um, you, you made your way up into the, into the ranks. And I'm sure it was a little bit of a, obviously, I think, I'm sure people were really jealous that your father was Eric. At the same time, maybe that, that's a little bit of a burden as well when you have such a famous father and you go in the cycling group and so on. I, I, I heard there was an interesting story with a recumbent bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like you, like you said, uh, I, I was always uh, already, people looked at me because of my name and my dad's story. And I was always a guy who, uh, yeah, I was not hiding. I, I was, yeah, I was in the spotlight, for example. Uh, and I, I have to say, I enjoyed it somehow. And but like you said, I, I had the special bike in, in pink uh, and uh, whatever. I'm going to go with that bike to school. I don't care what other people think. Like, I like it and that's, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, of course, people like you or they hate you. There's nothing in between, really. And uh, I realized that pretty quick that I people look different at me because of my name and because they think my dad is a star or my parents are rich or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, di I didn't really care about it. I always said, I'm Rick and uh, you can talk to me and I will talk to you back. Maybe we are friends, maybe we are not, but let's give it a try. Very good, very cool. And um, as well, you, you mentioned that at the beginning you, you had, because there was lots of food available and stuff and, and all the, the sweets, uh, you were a little bit overweight. Um, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you went to the sports test and, and then you realized, okay, that they, you need to put more work in. Is it still an issue? You, you're trying, you have issues to keep your weight down or now with all the training or what's your weakness when it comes to food? Oh, I, I like uh, Haribo a lot. Uh, what, what is the word uh, for it in English? Haribo? Gummy bear. Gummy, Gummy bear. Yes. Gummy bear. This is my weakness for sure. And uh, yeah, I... I, for example, my normal weight is 77 kilo, which is good for classics. Yeah. But when you do a grand tour, it's better to have a little bit less, like 75.5 is a better weight. And uh, yeah, then from losing this 1.5 kilogram from uh, April to July, 
doesn't sound that hard, but it's not easy for me. Like I, I'm still, I'm like, I'm not overweight anymore and I'm not fat, of course not. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's not easy for me, this nutrition thing. Uh, I, I have to keep an eye on that. Mm -hmm. And when you, who would you consider when you think back in the school, there was one name you mentioned, Michael Beckert, who was a coach. Um, he seemed to be having a big influence on you uh, in your sports career. What was so special about him? I think he realized pretty quick uh, how my mind works and how my character works. Like uh, he, he gave me a lot of challenges and because he, I was competitive, competitive and I wanted to show everybody like I'm the best and uh, I, I will show you, I will go my own way. Um, but still he, he, he gave me a lot of advice and uh, just brings me in the right direction. And he was always, yeah, giving me support. Uh, but also on the other side, for example, when I already said with 17 or 18 years, like, I'm going to be a professional, like, I don't care about school. He was also there to say, man, like, also this, like, you, you should, you should also try to be good in the school because one bad crash, one bad injury and your dream is over. So uh, be a little bit realistic. And, uh, but He had a special way to, to talk to me, for example. When, when my dad, for example, would tell me this, I would say, ah, come on, shut up, dad. Like, uh, <laughs> I would go my way. But I think everybody has a CS persons in his life who have a special, like, feeling to talk to you. And, and uh, he, was, he was one of that guys, yeah. Very good, very good. Well, what do you think when you speak about his personality or about your personality that he could, could deal with this? What was your strength or what would you describe today as a strength you have? And what is the weakness in your personality that you, uh, that you know about? Strength is really that uh, I, when I want something, I can pretty focus really good on that and uh, follow, follow that goal. And uh, I'm really going for it. But uh, I'm really, uh, what is ungeduldig in English? Ungeduldig. Uh, impatient. I'm really impatient. Like, uh, yeah, it, I, if, if I focus for something and I go, and I go for it, I want to see really fast results also. If it takes months or years, I'm getting, I'm getting tired of that. And uh, also in my, like, I can do, Like I can follow my, my goals to 100% if I see sense in that. If, if I see a sense in what I'm doing, I'm totally into it. But if I start thinking about, okay, why I'm doing that? Like, I don't think that brings me further in my life and it's already done. Like then, <laughs> then I'm off, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And the motivation for training, is it sometimes difficult for you to get out or you feel like you just have it in you, you enjoy cycling so much that you feel like, okay, I'm getting out. I know you've just been back from a ride now. Um, I yeah. think you've got a new. Uh, I, when I when I see my, for example, my dad there, he he's still riding every day his bike. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that will not happen with me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm very I'm very motivated to ride my bike, and I like it and I enjoy it. But uh, for example, now in times of Corona, I'm already like for two months in Cologne now. And now it starts to get hard because yeah. every ride I did already five times, like uh, once I ride left, once I ride right, and then straight. 
So it, it needs to be a little bit fun for me to, as well. Like I like to do training camps, for example, when you're two weeks somewhere, I can go every day six hours and train really hard. But then I, I also know after two weeks it's finished and I go home again, I can take it a little bit easier. But uh, yeah, for me, for sure, fun and patient is there. But if I compare it with my dad, for example, there he, he his life is really cycling 100%. And yeah. uh, for me, there's a line, there's a limit. And then I also don't like to see my bike anymore. It was very funny when I met your dad for the first time, we were in Qatar and, and we had a, a German television team. They, they make an article about uh, people leaving Germany and moving to Dubai. And we just had an article in, in one German TV, I think in Pro7. And um, then, then we walked into the lobby and I saw your dad and I walked up to him and I said, oh my God, Eric, uh, Eric Zabel, and you are such a hero. And I said, I know you from TV. And I, he told me and I said, no, no, I know you from TV. And it was so funny that we had that moment where um, it, was, it was just nice. Um, I want to see as well, you had a moment maybe in cycling where it really, it was really tough and it really shaped your character and you learned something which you still uh, cherish for now for your, for your regular life or the, what has cycling taught you what you have in your, in your regular daily life now? Cycling uh, told me that life is fair. I mean, okay. cycling, cycling shows you that pretty, pretty hard. That means if you train and if you are fit, you get results and life is good to you. But if you're sitting at home and you don't train, you come to the races and you get your ass kicked. And um, like, like, like I said, like in my cycling life, for example, um, the, the way was always up until I turned professional. Then it was not that easy because I had high expectations from everybody um, on me. And uh, I was, I, I was still happy. I did my way, and I finished all my first three Grand Tours. I, I achieved all my goals. Like I want to do Paris Roubaix. One year later, I did Paris Roubaix, and then the same with Flanders. I achieved everything. But then, for example, in 2018, there was the first year when I was like, Ah, now, now I'm already in the game for five years. I, I know what to do. I like I can take it a little bit easier. Or I, I thought I understood the game. And I took it a little bit easier and you come to the Tour de France and boom, you're out. You, I didn't finish stage and it was first Grand Tour. I, I was like, uh, yeah, I didn't finish. And in the evening I was sitting in my hotel room, of course, very disappointed and sad. And I thought about all that and I bring out my laptop and I checked all my training and I was like, ah, man, you, you also trained less than the other years. Like it's, it's not a surprise if you're honest to yourself. And uh, this is this is a moment when you say, okay, man, like you need to be more focused again. And this is, uh, for me, this is the biggest le lesson cycling told me that if you work for something, you can do it, but you also have to go the, the whole way. There are no shortcuts. Very good. Okay, I like that. Yeah, we have, this is one of our logos is uh, no shortcuts is on, on our, our shirts. Um, yeah, that's true. And um, what do you think would your teammates uh, say about Rick Sabel when, when, when they speak about him? I think uh, my, my, my teammates uh, would just say good things about me. <laughs> no, no, of course not. I also can be a very uh, uh, maybe uh, annoying person uh, for sure. But uh, normally uh, most teammates uh, are quite happy with me. Or also when you, for example, change teams, 
and then you you get in touch with new people and new writers and it's always a special feeling that they they say man like I never talked to you and like I never knew you and I always had like this my 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 opinion about you yeah. but now since we're teammates like I see you in a completely different light you're a really cool guy mm -hmm. because for example I'm always a guy who likes to talk on the table for example like in the in the morning at the breakfast before a race everybody's okay. focused for the race so everybody's doing a little bit his thing and then you you do the race so you don't have lunch yeah actually on a race day the the only time the whole team is together is the dinner okay. and i hate it for example when we are sitting there and everybody's on his phone and nobody's talking so i'm always one of the guy who yeah tries to talk bring out stories uh, when something stupid happened to me i tell the story that people okay. laugh and uh, i ask other people I think that's really important to to yeah. I, I think I'm quite a I'm a good guy in a team to bring conversation on the table and yeah, make it, which is important. Good. Yeah, which yeah. is important for a team spirit. Yeah, I think that's yeah, very important. Quite, yes, yes. Do you feel like when you when you say preparing for a race and in the morning you have a certain ritual you you follow when it comes to a race? You you're maybe a bit superstitious about some things, abergläubisch uh, that you yeah, prepare yeah, for. Um, no, not anymore. When I was younger and I turned professional, I, I was really superstitious because, uh, yeah, you, you are not, you're not uh, experienced. And for example, when you go out with the white leg first out of the bed, you're like, ah, today is a good day because yesterday I did it and I had a good result. So you keep doing it for all the season. But uh, like I said, now, the longer, the longer I'm in the game, I, I know that it's it has nothing to do with luck for sure you need luck but uh, it's all preparation to come there and uh, it's it's all on you like it's not, like nobody when you want to go in the breakaway it's no luck to go there you have yeah. to attack like it's not that you're sitting in there and like oh maybe i have a good day and i go in the breakaway nobody gives you a gift like you have you have to go out and you have to take it so uh, now i i realized like that no matter what, if the salt falls away on the table, for example, the Italians hate it. When the when the salt uh, oh, yes, 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 yeah. gets over, they are like, okay, today is over. My 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 day is over. Like man, like this has nothing to do with your day. To get this out of your head, just go out and race. Yeah, very good. And is it something where you feel like you change your personality when you put your helmet on and you maybe you buckle your helmet? Is it is is there another example? Um, or is it coming later in the race when it comes to the last 15, 20 kilometers? Um, is, there, is there a personality change? Can you really feel you, you psych yourself up and, and get more aggressive? In the final, yes. When, when I start the race, uh, except of if it's an uphill finish, then I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> then, uh, then I, because I know I will suffer. But uh, for, for the most uh, of the starts, I'm quite relaxed and I talk with my teammates or I talk with other people I know in the, in the peloton and I have, I have a good time. I, I, I always try to stay as long as possible relaxed in a ways. But then for sure, when the, when on a sprint day, when the last 20K start are starting, I know, okay, now it's the moment to be focused, to be ready. And then I can also switch really into, into, to, yeah, into a focus mood and, uh, then I'm also aggressive, like, of course, like if I want to be second in the final corner, yeah, I want to be second and not eighth. So uh, yes. then you have to fight for it. 
I think it's quite amazing now that the cameras on the bikes, I think it gives a completely different view to a Peloton and you can really see what, how much pushing and shoving and, and speaking and uh, things is going on. It's quite, quite uh, daunting when you see this. Yeah. 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 It's, it's great. It's great that uh, you, you have the cameras on the bike and uh, when, when I'm in the hotel in my bed in the evening after the race and sometimes you look the footages from the day, it yes. looks even like it's like oh my god like <laughs> I was doing the sprint with these guys like are they crazy but yeah. in the moment when you're there and you see the last kilometer is coming yeah you, your head is off you're just mm -hmm. doing you're just following your instinct and try to do your job yeah yes uh you discovered swift now you haven't done swift before but i think now uh, you you're going on swift and um, you're riding in, in groups there, you're riding with the team now, you've been in, in kind of uh, quarantine or are you mostly training by yourself? Uh, in, in Germany, it's still allowed to ride outside. So I try to ride, uh, or I'm, I'm riding most of the times I'm riding outside. But uh, Leia, like you said, uh, in 2018, uh, in November, I, I broke my collarbone mm -hmm. in training and coming back from the injury, uh, I started to using Swift. Uh, so uh, yeah, since then I'm riding with Swift and especially now in this time, like you, like you mentioned, uh, my team, the East World Startup Nation, we are doing every week uh, on the weekend, we're doing like a fan ride. And yes. for, for everyone who's participating, uh, our sponsor is donating a mask against uh, the coronavirus. Oh, it's even for a good cause. And uh, of course, I'm always participating in these rides because uh, it's it's just nice to see once a week your teammates, even if it's just online. But it's it's a nice feeling uh, to ride with thousands of people there. And uh, and of, also if it's raining, for example, I, I like to go on my balcony and riding Swift uh, a few hours uh, is better than to ride in the rain. Fantastic. And you mentioned an injury, and I just remembered when uh, the Tour de France was in Germany in 2017. Um, Valverde in the time trial, Valverde did slide in a corner and he broke his a kneecap on a on a um, fence. And I saw footage that you fell in the same corner, and and you told me that you just uh, ripped off two ligaments in your shoulders, and you still finished the tour in 2017. I think this is just unbelievable. Yeah, also for me. Uh... Looking back on that tour, it, it's it wasn't it wasn't a nice time. It was I had to suffer a lot to to finish that tour. Wow. But uh, also there there was just one option for me. Like it, it is my first Tour de France, or it was my first Tour de France. Yes, but it was starting in Germany. Yes, uh, after like twenty years or more. Yes, and uh, yeah, I crashed on that first day. So like from this. All this happiness you had to be there and you're pretty sad because oh man this is not good to have this injury now but uh yeah i slept one night over it i woke up the next day i said ah, i will try it and i finished yeah. the second stage and then you, you you think about day day by day you think day by day and then somehow you're in the second week and you think okay man now it's just one week until paris i i, I can do it and um, also back back in that time it felt like the whole, whole world is watching me. Like, like I said, as a German, your first yeah. two friends in Germany, it was like, I had no other option than to finish. Like my head was like, oh no, I, I'm not giving up. Like I have to go Fantastic. through. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, 
you mentioned Swift as well. And when you're on Swift, you, you distract yourself with some music, you listen to podcasts. What, what, what are you doing? What's on your playlist, on Spotify playlist? What are the top hits right now? Or what music you listen to? Oh, it's, it's hard. Uh, hard to, I, I like a lot of music. I, no matter if it's rock or, or rap. And I, I like 80s. I like 80s, man. Like the, the classics, it's always 80s classics I, I always like to listen to. Um, my, my favorite band is uh, Biffy Clyro. It's a, it's a Scottish band. Yeah, I like really the music they do. Um, but I'm also really into Red Hot Chili Peppers, for example. Uh, and uh, this is music I'm, I'm listening to. Uh, but actually on Swift, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just listening to the music. And uh, or sometimes I'm also just writing because it's quite fun. Like uh, normally I'm writing one or one half hour. But uh, yeah. you have a lot of you have a lot to do. Like I, I try to hunt the king of mountains there, or I I will I do a little battle with some other people there because of course when they see your little pro badge, people are always following you. So I get annoyed of that, and I try to like <laughs> drop them. That's uh, what I'm doing. Yeah. I have um, people can obviously ask questions, and I have two questions now uh, about your food. What do you eat in the morning before training? Uh, normally, some uh, a bowl of cereals uh, with with a banana and uh, some some chia seeds, for example, um, and some oats. That would be like a, a good bowl of that. Makes me happy. As well uh, as in uh, in Germany, in good old Germany, you can buy good bread. So uh, some bread with cheese and ham. I'm I'm also always into that. Yeah. Very good. And another one. Which Haribo is your favorite? And when you open the bag, do you finish the bag or you, can you resist? Oh, if I open it, it's finished. Uh, it's that's, that's for sure. Like uh, on a waste day, for sure, it's, uh, it's finished. Uh, when I'm home and I'm hard to myself, it, I'm, I can resist from, then it takes maybe two days until it's finished. <laughs> but, uh, but that's it. Uh, and, yeah, the, the, the normally the, the gold beers, the Haribo gold beers are my favorite. Okay, the, the classic one. Classic one, yeah. Ah, and then, okay, that's a nice question from Wes. Uh, what's the biggest lesson you learned from your dad? The biggest lesson I learned from my dad. Um, I, he, he always says in German, it's Radfahren kommt von Radfahren, which actually okay. does means like riding your bike comes from riding your bike um, and I, I told this once in my in my own podcast in, in his last year for example and he stopped in 2008 he did uh, fifth or like he, he didn't do it but he was very close I think he did 49,700 kilometer so he nearly cracked the 50,000 kilometer a year and if you like for me if you go on your, or if you just want to see, I think that's like 200, more than 200K a day, one year long. And this just shows how much he loves cycling. So yes. you can imagine when little Rick comes in the 2014 and turns professional and I'm telling him, ah, but I'm just training three hours now because we're training much more intensive. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> Back in the days, we really trained. You you don't know what training is. So uh, 
and it, it was like that like uh, for sure i'm I, i can tell you I, i'm always in better shape if i do four five or six hours than training two or three hours even if i train intensive uh, my body reacts better on six hours slow training so uh, yeah this is something i had to learn from him for sure Yeah, you mentioned something I just thought was quite interesting. You have your own podcast, uh, Planet Z. Yeah, Planet uh, Z. Unfortunately, it's in German, and and for all the German listeners, obviously, it's really cool, and you should really go and, and listen to to the um, to this. It's quite interesting. Uh, what? How did this come? How did this come along that you started your own podcast? And uh, is it all about cycling, or what, what's what's the story? It's about cycling and as well about my personal life, I would say. Um, of course, I have cyclists as my guest uh, and then it's not about me, it's more about uh, the guest. And then I have episodes where my dad or my best friend is invited and then we are talking about our personal story. So, or my girlfriend was also a guest already two times. So then you, you can listen to my, my daily life. And when my girlfriend gets mad and because I'm not cleaning up the kitchen and stuff. Uh, so it's really like from professional cycling about a cyclist at home, a boring uh, or a lazy cyclist at home. And uh, the reason why I'm doing this podcast is that I had the feeling that about a lot of things what are happening in my life and also in uh, the, the world of cycling that I, I have interesting thoughts and uh, I have a lot to tell. Mm -hmm. And I just said, okay, no, no other guy is doing it. So uh, yeah, why not me? And uh, I always like people also who, who drop statements, like who, if they see something what they don't like, they mm -hmm. show, they put the finger up and they say, guys, that's not okay. And uh, that's also a reason why I'm doing the podcast because cycling, professional cycling is still not that professional how it maybe looks from the outside. Yes. And, um, especially the UCI, our, yeah, is, in my mind, they are doing a lot of mistakes and uh, cycling could be much more interesting for fans than uh, other people. Yeah. So uh, these are things I, I tell in my podcast. Uh, I don't really care if someone is angry about me afterwards or if I get in trouble because, uh, yeah, like I said, if, 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 I, if it makes me angry, I want to talk about it. Yes. And I don't want to swallow it down. I was listening and if, if somebody can speak German from this, it's really, I would really encourage you. I thought it was interesting. I was listening to an episode with uh, um, Jens Vogt and he had a good idea with the UCI, which you just mentioned. He said, okay, he wants to have a, a gray color jersey for the oldest rider. He thought it was a bit unfair that it's only uh, people with the, the youngest rider get awarded, yeah. but he was obviously a rider who was riding a long, long time in his career. And um, so he thought okay, he would have like the, a great jersey, which I thought was a quite a, uh, yeah. quite a cool idea. I have another question, which is uh, your ideal. Do you change the setup of your bike for a Roubaix to a Tour de France setup for, for longer stages, or you keep your setup all the way uh, the, the same? I'm keeping my setup uh, always. Sometimes, uh, like now the last years was when I was riding on a Kenyan, I did all my races on that Kenyan Award bike, no matter if it was a Tour de France mountain stage or Paris-Roubaix. Um, when I was in my first team in BMC, 
uh, it was different because they had a special Paris Roubaix frame. So of course, then we were using that frame for Paris Roubaix. But uh, I'm I'm a fan of keeping the same setup. Yeah. And you have now a new bike. I think there was a new bike there a few days ago. I looked on Instagram. You've got a gravel bike now, and I think today you used the gravel bike for the first time, or then for yeah, one one of the yeah, first yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, I, exactly. I bought uh, I bought a Factor gravel bike, and um, like I'm like I mentioned before, uh, it, after eight weeks in lockdown, it gets a little bit uh, boring doing yeah. always the same routes around your house. So I bought this gravel bike now, and today I did my first ride, and I really enjoyed it because. Uh, It's like in it's like I'm riding in a in a new town now uh, because yeah. I'm riding through forests and uh, yeah. fields and uh, it's a completely different feeling of of cycling and uh, it's just nice to do something else. Yeah, do something different. Yes. No. Is there something on your bucket list you want to achieve? Any let's say anything out of cycling or or any race you really dearly want to win? My biggest goals are not in cycling, I guess. Um, I, 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 for sure, I'm happy over every year I can stay in the sport in the in the in the in the world tour. Like I think I'm now in my seventh season, so I want to do at least ten seasons in the first uh, first division. That would be nice. But even then, I'm just 29, so uh, <laughs> I, I I can ride my bike for for more years, but. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I really, the normal life is really interesting and I'm already thinking about my career after my career, for example. Okay. So uh, having, uh, having my own little bike coffee shop with a nice bike shop in Cologne, that would be something I, I like. Okay. Uh, yeah, this uh, where I can do kind of a little bit uh, like, a, like a cool place where you You sell cool bike stuff, uh, as well as as having uh, yeah a cool coffee shop. And uh, in the evening, you can do a, a live podcast, for example, in front of people. Um, that would be something I, I would like to enjoy. Yeah. So if we come next time to Dubai, I, I take you around and I show you what we've done. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good. Um, is there any question in, in a talk show you've been maybe on many times on in an interview? Is there any question uh, you always wanted to be asked and nobody ever asked you? Um, I all my since it's, it's I think it's more uh, a question what I like to uh, to ask my dad because since I'm since I'm young. Uh, Every time, I think in no in or in every interview I gave so far, there was this question: How is it to be the son of Eric Zabel? So I would like to turn it around and uh, would just ask: How is it to be the dad of Rick Zabel? I think this this should be now the from now on the question people should ask my dad. Uh, I, that would be pretty funny, I think. Very good. We I, I send him the copy. Yeah, we have it on YouTube. I send it to him, and I think then we hopefully get an answer and we post this answer. Yeah, uh, yeah. comments below. Very good. How is it to be the son of a of a famous cyclist? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything? Do you have a party trick? Do you have any uh, unusual skill? Anything? Will you impress some people? Anything? I don't. I wouldn't call it a, a party trick. Uh, I think uh, 
what I heard a lot in my life so far is that I'm the fastest eater. Uh, <laughs> no, like it's ridiculous. Like when I'm when I'm meeting with friends on a dinner, and I really, I if I'm not concentrating on eating slow, yeah, my my plate is finished, and they took three spoons, for example. So then I'm sitting around and uh, waiting for the others to finish. So uh, I'm I'm eating super fast. Uh, is this going back to boarding school? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. When when you just had uh, when you just get one bowl of pasta, you needed to be fast to get something for sure. <laughs> okay, I, I get a question. My wife said just said she she thinks I can eat faster than you. Maybe we have to make a fast eating combination because I have yeah, yeah, yeah. always under stress in my family as well. I'm finishing <laughs> everything and then they always because then I'm starting to pick in their plates and and that that is really annoying. So. Yeah. I'm a fast eater as well. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we will go one, one evening. We have more time to talk, you know, and I think we want to talk and that's why we have to eat quickly. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Very good. I have a few quick questions and we're coming to the end. Um, just a few things. I will give you some options and you can, you can tell me what you think about it. So um, if, about socks, you wear long socks or short socks? Long socks. Chamois cream, yes or no? No. Tattoos? Do you have tattoos? I saw on your arm. Yeah, yeah. How many? And and wh where are they? What are they? Uh, I have quite a lot. I think okay. pretty unusual to other cyclists. I have uh, a lot. I, I can't count them anymore. For sure, more than 20. Okay, very cool. Anything special? Anything you did for a special event? I, I mean, I did every tattoo has a, has a story, a reason, like in a story. Uh, but maybe my the one I can show. Yeah, it's this one. Yes. This is like uh, this is the, the R. Uh, now it's like a monogram. Monogram. Uh, yes. It's it's the name of my mom, and uh, okay. I designed it myself. So uh, every line which was tattooed has a is one letter, and uh, it, I like it because when people look at it. They don't really understand what it is, and when I explain it to them, they make like ah ah that makes nice. sense. It was really clever, so I like that. Yeah, very nice. Um, if you race, you race by the power meter. You you look at your numbers a lot, or you race by feeling? No, I don't look at the numbers by feeling. Feeling. I, I had actually the question: Mario Cipollini or Eric Zabel? Had <laughs> it <laughs> Sure, that's a good question. Yeah, I told you already. I like Cipollini a lot. Yeah, <laughs> Okay, and when it comes to clothes, you wear shorts and jersey or one piece? Um, in training, always shorts and jerseys because for me that's more comfortable and I like yeah. it more. But uh, when we start racing, of course, it's about the performance and uh, then I'm using a suit. Shaving your legs only during race season or as well off season? Only in race season. Okay. Um, who is the greatest cyclist ever? The greatest cyclist ever. Whew. That's For that's, you, obviously. That's, yeah, yeah that's, that's a hard one, but... Uh, who you, you, um, I would, I would really say, uh, for me personal, it's really my dad because, uh, nice. We, we have, we are so different in, a, in our character and on a, on a human side, I cannot understand my dad 
like is crazy for me but on a when i'm not a human when i'm just a cyclist i have the biggest respect for him like how he's living uh, this passion cycling like his life is cycling like i think at home he has I don't know more than 100 bikes and yeah. uh, he, he can yeah. do everything like when we talked before when i get when i got my new bike i i went with a car to his place and we built the bike up together because yeah he he's not just riding his bike he also knows how to build up bikes he knows everything about cycling and he's watching every race on tv so uh, i i have a lot of respect how much he loves cycling and um yeah how how crazy he is about cycling but uh, yeah like i said when i'm not a cyclist and just a normal person a human uh, i think also that he's a little bit crazy <laughs> i like that does that, does that make sense yeah yes. you like weather rather warm or cold i don't really care i i can ride in uh, every weather but uh, of course uh, If it's super hot or super cold, it's both not nice, but uh, I can ride in every weather. And the wind is your friend or your enemy? It depends from which direction it comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite amazing. Obviously, everybody knows on, on a bicycle that headwind is a tough thing, but sidewind is a tough thing. But yeah, I think the wind really have to make it your, your friend in a way because you, you can't change it anyway. So yeah. I think it's... And what, what I what I always uh, what is always funny to me is that when I come home, for example, and I talk with my girlfriend about my training day, and I, I explain her, ah, uh, I had headwind uh, or I had tailwind in the beginning, but I didn't really realize it, and then I turned back and I realized I have headwind, so uh, it was really a bad day, and she she's just laughing and she don't understand it, and then I always say, it's crazy how much more important wind plays a role in my life than in yours because <laughs> I, I, I don't think she ever woke up and looked how the from which direction the wind comes or how strong the wind is she don't give a fuck where the wind comes from and as a cyclist you're really like i oh, yeah the wind comes from this direction it's, it's and you choose your route accordingly then you first go very good yeah 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 do you have a favorite quote or favorite saying uh, favorite quote um I, I um, in my last podcast, I used a quote, uh, which I really liked. It was from Juice World. That's the, that's a rapper. Unfortunately, he died uh, last year. He was just 21 years old. But he said, um, find something in your life that you really like. And uh, yeah, if you have a passion, you never have to work in your life. Like, mm -hmm. it's always fun. And even if it seems impossible, it's very, very possible to do that. And uh, that's a quote I really like. It's a little bit cheesy, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, if you sing karaoke, is it Rammstein or Nena? Rammstein, for sure. Rammstein. Uh, is it espresso or cappuccino? Espresso. Is it rather fine dining or burger? Burger. If you go for holidays, is it mountain or beach? Beach. And on the beach, you wear speedos or shorts? Shorts. <laughs> the last movie you enjoyed? Last movie I enjoyed. Uh, 
I don't really know, but my favorite movie is Inception. Okay. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Exactly, and uh, the regisseur is uh, Christopher Nolan, and uh, it's yeah, it, the, the movie just plays trick with your mind, and I really like that. Very good. And if you have popcorn, you have it sweet or salty? Salty. Salty. Very good. So one one last question I have is. If you could spend one day with a person dead or alive, who would that be? I think that would be, it's hard, but I think it would be uh, Kurt Cobain, maybe. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yes. I think it would be Kurt Cobain, yeah, because, yeah, it's, it, it was a little bit in front of my time, of course. Yeah. I was, yeah just uh, born then but uh, I really like the music and uh, yeah also just all the story about him and uh, I think uh, he, he was a very ins inspirational guy and uh, actually I would change my quote um, you, you just asked me yes. it's better to burn out than to fade away That's, okay. this is the last sentence he wrote uh, in the letter to his girlfriend or wife when he died mm -hmm. so uh, i think that's that's a better quote it's better to burn out than to fade away very good okay that's cool that's that's a good quote to end uh, uh, to end our talk yeah very cool i think we have to exchange some playlists i think we're with uh, nirvana and rammstein yeah. i think we have some some uh, matches here so yeah. that's really, that, that's really good yeah thank you Eric, thank you so much. I think it was really a great insight into, into your, obviously your cycling career. And obviously there's so much more to come and we're really looking forward uh, to see you back on the bike and see you back in Dubai, uh, back in Abu Dhabi and, and everywhere. And obviously back in all the races, hopefully soon to come. Uh, is Tour de France on your list for this year? Um, normally I should do the Giro d'Italia, so no Tour de France, but I guess now everything has changed anyway. And um... My, my start of the season was pretty good in uh, Australia and the UAE tour, so the team was very happy with me. So, uh, yeah, if I can do once more the Tour de France, I would be happy about that for sure. Okay, that would be great if we can see you there. Um, I just want to remind, we have another talk on Monday, and this time it's not a cyclist. We're speaking to Anthony McCrossnan, and it's, it's interesting. I'm sure it will be exciting when you hear his voice, because he is the voice of British cycling He's the commentator of lots of professional events. He was commentating Dubai Tour, uh, UE Tour, Giro Italia, many Milan San Remo for, for the British television. And, and we invited him to speak to us because I think he has, I'm sure, a lot of knowledge about the sport and, and all the cool stories he has to tell. So that's on Monday at 7 in Dubai. Uh, so thank you, Rick. Um, thanks for the time. And we wish you all the best. And um, we wish you all the best as well with the podcast. Uh, yeah. That's really, really cool. And um, looking forward to see you soon again. And regards yeah. to your father. Yeah, I do. I will do. Thanks uh, for being a guest. Thank you very much, Rick. Cheers. Bye-bye. Oh. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.